Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser this morning, this afternoon or this evening or wherever this finds you. Uh, Today I want to, uh, actually I'm going to get Ducka into the mailbag because I've got a couple messages that I have forgotten to uh, reply to and uh, then we are going to talk about um, a variant of um, storytelling that I've used before in uh, games and most recently I, I used an extended version of this that was not terribly successful and then I used a uh, shorter version of it uh, well I mean I use a version that I normally use which is for one shots uh, recently and that was quite successful so I wanted to talk about war stories so uh, let's get to the mailbag Hi there, it's John from the Red Dice Diaries calling again, and I just wanted to drop you a quick message to wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Take care, and I'll catch you soon. All right, so that first uh, message was from um, my buddy uh, John Allen Large from uh, Red Dice Diaries. John, thank you so much for uh, the belated wishes. I I know I mentioned you on a previous podcast, but uh, since you did take the time to call in, I really wanted to uh, say a very quick Merry Christmas to you. Um, And Next up, we've got... Our very own Colin Green, a.k.a. Spike Pit, a.k.a. Kane the Lion. Hello, Kev. How are you doing? Hope you're well. Thought I'd better get in touch before you forget who I am. Um, really enjoyed your latest podcast. I love that where you you reflect on your games. Always of interest to me. I was slightly horrified to imagine a, a DM running a game just because I felt obligated. Mm. I feel that that would kind of suck the fun away from a table and I would be disappointed if you did that. I personally relish the idea of you bringing your own flavour and spice into a system or a, a, a module or whatever. That's why I come to the table with different DMs to see their style of play and if you take that out, I, I lose interest and get a little bit bored myself. The other thing, soup to nuts. How does soup get to nuts? Take care. Catch you later. And a big thanks to Colin for calling in. How could I ever forget you, Colin? Jeez. Um, so, the, you know, it's it's interesting that, um, you know, it's an obvious answer to say that, oh, well, you know, I wouldn't do something as an obligation. But I think that uh, I was talking to some other people in the Discord recently, and the time when people, I think people feel kind of hemmed in on the game that they're running um, where they may not be loving it 100% uh, is when you're playing with an in-person group that is a consistent group. Uh, the, you know, the, the um, not to diminish the role that the players have, like obviously it's important that players are engaged and, and everything else too, but like the DM is the one who's putting in the, mo- the most work on that uh, game. So if the DM isn't really firing on it, I do feel that it, it's something that needs to be brought up to the players. Um, but there are, I know, I know players, uh, or friends who are on the discord server who are running games that they're, you know, it sounds like they're about 75% at it, which is, you know, definitely in the, in the favorable category, but it isn't their like dream game to run. And they don't feel that they could make the changes to run other games because of, uh, the preferences of some of the players. And so I, um, I like, I have not felt that obligation really, uh, with the online groups I play with largely because I can just say, you know what? I don't want to run this anymore. I want to run something different. Uh, if you guys want to play that, that's cool. If not, we'll find something else that we'll play with, uh, you know, we'll play with you. So, um, but yeah, but I mean, I, I totally agree. Like the, I think the healthy mindset is to be, um, 
running games that you genuinely are excited about that uh, genuinely won't make you want to put that work in. So thank you so much for the call, Colin. So um, last episode, I talked a bit about uh, the uh, my feelings with respect to the covenant that I kind of have with my players that if you show up, we're playing something. Like we're going to play some role-playing game uh, regardless of um, what we had planned if we find ourselves down a bunch of players. The most common way that I used to, um, to, to make use of those sessions uh, was what uh, it's a kind of uh, like a flashback structure that I began using with uh, my Legend of the Five Rings game. Um, I This is going back probably 20 years now. Uh, more, oh God, it's depressing that it's longer than that. It's uh, 22, 23 years ago when we first started playing or running um, Legend of the Five Rings. This is the original uh, role-playing game. Uh, the, uh, the card game, which we were big fans of, had a card called Lessons from the Past. And to be honest, I don't remember offhand what the uh, card actually did, but what I, I liked the phrasing of it, and so what I would do uh, at times is I'd run a Lessons from the Past session. So we'd be playing our regular game, and then if we were down players or someone wanted a one-shot or something like that, uh, I would run a Lessons from the Past session. And what that would allow me to do is to flesh out some story elements uh, that I, uh, I wanted to introduce in the game or that I had introduced in the game. Um, I would add... Um, you know, uh, new elements that I wanted to add in and introduce, uh, or we would explore a bit of the uh, character's personal history or their ancestral history, because in that case, you know, it was uh, uh, a game of fantasy, basically fantasy samurai and uh, spellcasters. So, you know, ancestors played a pretty big role, and uh, there was a couple characters who actually had ancestor spirits as part of their kind of character, you know, build. So, it was it was a fun way. I mean, it was a fun way to, to you know main, keep playing that campaign, but have a way of shaking things up. Uh, and then I carried that forward for a lot of different campaigns that I, I had in the interim years. But the one where I really started using it, and it became the kind of the, the actual name I used for these sessions, was in my Iron Kingdoms role playing game session uh, campaign. That campaign went for about two years, two and a half years, and it was. Awesome! It was a really, really great game. It's one of the only um, campaigns, one of the only games where I've actually uh, we've come so close to seeing the entire lifespan of a, of a character from zero XP up to end game, uh, and that was pretty awesome. Uh, but anyway, the um, in that game because uh, conflict and war is is so much of a, a prevalent part of that setting, what I uh, was calling them was war stories. And then for every other game going forward, I've been calling them war stories, and it was war story sessions and sometimes I'd only use them for half a session uh, sometimes I'd use them for the, that would be all we'd be playing you know sometimes I'd, I'd start off with a little introduction uh, and, yeah, for some other character some other place in the campaign like for instance I uh, I introduced a, um, a pretty brutal adversary for them that was this like I'm trying to think what they were called but basically it was imagine like a mind you know like a lobotomized kill machine, giant, monstrous, mutated kill machine, uh, possessed by a an enormous demonic sword um, that I can't for the life of me remember what the name of the things are, but they are a type of adversary in um, from Kador, from one of the uh, factions in uh, Iron Kingdoms, and uh, I the, what it was was basically a Friday the 13th type thing. I, I introduced the guy as climbing over this massive wall that separated two nations, murdering all the uh, 
the uh, knights that were keeping watch on the uh, thing and then making their way into the the lands where the players were supposed to be the protectors. And that uh, particular campaign, uh, for that particular session, what I had the players uh, playing was just, you know, the knights. So we, we got to, they got to have the visceral experience of having this terrifying thing come in and tear them all to pieces. And then we flashed, you know, that only took about an hour. Then we flashed forward to, or, you know, um, changed the uh, focus to our players and played our session as usual. But that placed that lingering question in the player's head as to, well, when the hell did this happen? Because I, I did not put a, a date or time on it, too. So they knew that this thing was in there. They knew that they were likely to encounter this thing at some point, but they weren't quite sure how that was going to play out. Uh, and I thought that was that was pretty fun. You know, uh, the it was... A, a topic that came up in the course of the campaigns for months and months afterwards where they would be talking about, wait, hold on, Fellblade, I think they were called. Uh, when's that Fellblade going to show up? Uh, you know, um, and it was great. And it was a fun way to, uh, yeah, to do the exact same thing I did with my lessons in the past is to fill in, you know, little little side stories or backstories that uh, would add a new character, add a new thing, um, or, you know, to add a little bit of, like, retroactive, um, do a little bit of retconning uh, and... Uh, changing some like the perspective on certain things. If I if I felt that I wanted to either shift the the perspective on a certain element of the campaign, or I wanted to um, I don't know like give some further backstory to a character that they they had one perspective on, um, I would use that. And I um, I didn't use it in I don't think in any of my other games last year apart from our Starfinder game and our Starfinder game. I ended up starting a... I, I started this, the campaign with one war story, which worked pretty well. And then I kind of shift the campaign partway through to, to being just basically nothing but this extended war story. Uh, and the reason I kind of stayed there is because I was having more fun in the war story than I was in the uh, in the actual campaign. Uh, so I didn't want to go back to the regular present, which was not what those things are, are, are intended to do. They're intended to be a nice little bit of flavor and a, a break from the usual. But... Um, Anyway, this weekend, though, I, um, I got back on that horse, and uh, for in our Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game, I ran the first of our uh, war stories, first of a war story session, and I'm calling them in that campaign Tuliborg Tales, and that's, uh, I mean, that's because the, the main setting for the campaign is a place called Tuliborg. And it was pretty fun. Like, I mean, I, I ran it the way I would run, um, like, a convention one-shot or uh, a one-shot that had to be done in a certain time. We, because I slept in, small too, I had a really long week last week. And then uh, I had a really good session on uh, Friday night with our ADD game that I actually slept in. I, I didn't, uh, I, I missed the uh, start of the game. So our three-hour session was actually only two hours but it was a. Uh, it gave us enough time to do this to introduce a new character, a, a sorcerer named Chestabor, and his sons. And we, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had um, had the adventure written uh, earlier because I knew I was going to be doing something different for this week. Because what was supposed to happen in that campaign was our uh, third siege of uh, Ironfang Keep, which is uh, this this going to be this massive set piece thing with two armies and, and like, planning and sieges and, and whatever. So, like, it's... Um, for one, we were down uh, basically half the players, so I, I didn't want to start that without all the players because it's going to be a really special session. Uh, and also, I... Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I didn't want to run that that uh, thing with four, and I wanted to take the opportunity to try and do something different. 
the way I approach writing the, the adventure is the way I approach writing for Conan 2D20. Uh, and I don't know why I approach them differently. I think because of the momentum system in uh, the 2D20 Conan game where I, there's a substantial um, op- amount of opportunity for the players to uh, affect the, uh, the narrative and the uh, flow of, of the game. I, uh, yeah, I just haven't, hadn't thought of um, Ash that way. Although that's not really true because I, I ran two one-shots of Ash that were very structured this way. They were very cinematic. I'd, I'd abandon rules at certain points just to move things along in the story, which is what I did in this one. We ended up, like, we had a, a one really good fight in it. We had a really good infiltration scene. We had some good role-playing. And then we had a... Uh, the end of the, the way we ended it was kind of, we just segued. It was clear the players were going to outclass the uh, their adversaries, uh, at least what was on offer, and I didn't want to keep throwing more and more things because that's not really what that story was about. And we just sort of narrated it through, and it was great. I mean, the, the, the players just jumped right in and, and uh, helped fill in the narrative of how they, you know, how they, they made their exciting escape. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was really, really good. And it, made, it reminded me that, you know, that, that's a really useful tool to have in your arsenal yeah, or your weapon, I guess, in your arsenal. Man, I keep mixing metaphors in that. I'm like, tools in your trick bag of tricks or weapons in your tool belt. Gee. Anyway, the, um, it is a good weapon to have in your arsenal uh, to deploy when you need to, you know, come up with something for the, uh, for the session um, when you, it may not be optimal to go forward with it. My recommendation uh, would be to uh, approach it with the same design uh, um, aesthetic that you would a one-shot, which is to say, like, make sure you're going to be done that story in one session uh, because what you don't want to do is leave a war story hanging uh, unless that's your intent, unless you want to have a dramatic kind of, you know, cliffhanger with it where it's uncertain as to how things resolve, and unless that's intentional. Uh, you don't want to do that because, you know, you are you don't know who's going to be at the table the next time. So you may find yourself in the thing where you've got, like, an ongoing campaign with one story going and you've got a um, another uh, flashback story that has different people in it. So you've you got to be careful there. And, and sometimes that means kind of rushing things through for the last hour. Uh, you do need to be mindful of your time. But it can be really satisfying. Like what I've done now with this, I haven't told the guys yet, but I mean, there is a new faction that they've been introduced to now and that they have some reputation with, the Sons of Chestabor. And in that campaign, there's a, there's a faction rules. So that there, there's ways of tracking and uh, you know tracking what your, uh, how the the different parties think of you in, in, uh, in the setting and what you... Um, what rewards you can gain as you as you gain more and more reputation if you choose to pursue that. And um, what else? Uh, yeah, it's just it was a really that was a really solid session. It was really fun. I, I rewatched it on Sunday to see how it how the pacing went. It seemed to go pretty well. Like with the guys knew, you know, we all know when that when we're stopping the session, so everyone sort of knew and, and went with the flow, and and it didn't feel um like i arbitrarily sort of forced the or it didn't seem like i forced the arbitrary arbitrarily the uh the ending of that uh that session so um yeah um so the way that i would i would recommend uh, prepping for that is in your campaigns because i mean if you uh if you're on the day of you find yourself down some players and you don't have anything prepped well yeah then you're you're that's gonna be tricky to run that unless you're really really good at imp- improvising but uh, one of the ways to sort of make it appear is if you're really good at improvising is to just start, you know, a little, um, uh, 
you know, a note uh, or either in uh, like uh, electronic document or uh, your scratch paper, scribble down ideas. What I do is I do them on post-its. Uh, I scribble down ideas for war stories and I just kind of keep them with my uh, campaign material. So if, uh, if I know that I'm going to be down some players, I'll take a look at that stuff and, and uh, kind of, uh, you know, see what I, see if I can come up with an idea to explore that, that idea that I had for, uh, or the concept uh, that I had for a war story, you know, and, uh, uh, sometimes too, it's it's fun in those war stories to just throw stuff out and see how players respond to it too. Like I, I uh, what I chose to do in the last session to try and get the uh, the players are are currently working on um, uh, getting themselves set up in the in Iron Fang Keep. But I, I want to throw I wanted to throw out a couple more breadcrumbs to to get them thinking about the wider continent as well. And uh, the way I did this was through Chestabor, Chestabor the obnoxious. Um, Sorcerer, mysterious sorcerer, and I, I mean that is an insufferable, or can be an insufferable character if used like the the Elminster coming in and basically telling the heroes what to do and stuff like that. So you got to be careful with how often you use that based on your own tolerances and those of your your players. But you know, I mean, it's a if you're playing a fantasy role playing game, there's going to be powerful wizards out there who sometimes will meddle in the affairs of others. So I thought this would be a fun way of of doing that, having a a face-to-face with a fairly powerful sorcerer, or maybe he's not a sorcerer, who knows, um, the, who then you know, uh, provided them with some, um, some pearls of wisdom, is the way he phrased it. So they've given some coin of knowledge, and each of them knows some little tidbit of kind of um, mysterious or, you know, it's obscure uh, in, in the same way that like oracular visions are. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the players choose to do with those, those tidbits of information, if anything. Uh, but... Uh, but anyway, um, so that's war stories. That's just, I thought I'd do a nice little short one here, talk about war stories and uh, suggest that as a way of maintaining, uh, you know, if you do have a group that doesn't want to sh- switch up games, but you, you feel the need to kind of stretch your creative muscles, that's a really good way of doing that and also for making good use of uh, downtime. Actually, that's not true. You know, I did do a war story in my Starfinder campaign as well. We were down two players and I invited two other people to join the game and they came in and... Um, yeah, and they played. Uh, they played the uh, uh, two new characters. Uh, I, that one, I didn't introduce any extra, any new information or whatnot. I just wanted to build up the relationship between two of the players who were said to have known each other uh, before. So we just did a crazy little horror one-shot on Absalon Station. So yeah, I guess I'm wrong. I, I still have made use of that throughout the year. So anyway, that is War Stories. Okay, and now uh, for this section, what I want to do is start off... Uh, Something that's uh, hopefully going to be an ongoing, um, an ongoing feature on this podcast. That's going to be something I'm calling the state of play, and that's going to be the status of the, the ongoing games that I've got going uh, right now on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. Um, so, this past, I guess, since the last uh, podcast, I've had an opportunity to continue running our AD and D Second Edition Night Below uh, campaign. Uh, and I have also run the first full session of our Zweihander campaign, and then there's the Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea game that I mentioned uh, before as well, too. Last weekend, also, we created, uh, we had our session zero for the Modern Age campaign that we're playing, the Modern Age role-playing game published by uh, Green Ronin, which has the same age uh, system that was developed for Dragon Age. And they've published in Fantasy Age and Modern Age uh, as well. Um, And then I think that's it. What did we do? Oh, we played Shadow the Demon Lord as well uh, last week, uh, as or last, uh, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. So I guess quite a few games we're going to talk about. For one, 
let's go in the reverse order. I got those a little didn't chronologically. Um, first up was the Shadow of the Demon Lord, which was a character creation session. It's our group that plays on uh, alternate uh, Saturdays. Saturdays when we don't play Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea. We were down about half of our group, so we ran, uh, decided to run a pickup of uh, roll up some characters and then uh, just play through a quick intro session for it. And man, that game is uh, so fucking good. If you haven't played Robert Schwab's uh, Shadow of the Demon Lord before, um, unfortunately, I don't think there's a quick start for it. So you're kind of stuck with, uh, you know, uh, if you are interested in playing, either finding a group that'll uh, play uh, or picking up the book yourself. But it is one of my absolute favorite role-playing games. It is, uh, I've had a bunch of times where I've just run a pickup where we randomly generated characters and then played a level zero campaign. Uh, I have on the YouTube channel, uh, the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, full uh, review, comprehensive review of not only the, the game itself, but also all the products that were available uh, at the time of uh, recording, which was, to be honest, most of the the main um, supplements, like the things that covered all the sort of extra areas you would expect to be covered by a splat book. The, the main exception to that is the most recent spell book, which is a, and the biggest release to date, this thing called Occult Philosophy, which has hundreds of new spells and, and uh, a bunch of new professions in it. So um, the nutshell version of that game is that it is a horror fantasy RPG that is has a really great intuitive uh, task resolution mechanic in it, which is um, to roll, uh, let's see, to roll uh, 1d20 with a number of d6s that may be added to the number, the total target number. Sorry, it's not that uh, you either add or subtract uh, d6s uh, to the roll as well, depending on situational factors. You have boons and banes, and uh, um, I'm making it sound a lot more complicated than what it actually is. But anyway, the it was really fucking fun to get back to that. We, we had... Uh, four players, we all randomly generated characters, and we played through a small little zombie kind of encounter, and then the characters just, um, yeah, we, we had we spent the last bit of the session with them advancing their characters up to first level, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, and it reminds, you know, the, the, I think the only reason I don't run that game on a more frequent basis is just because the, I chafe against the rigid structure of 11 adventures that it, it recommends, uh, and, uh, what, the game at default assumes you're going to play is level 0 to level 10, have uh, 11 or 12 adventures, and each adventure uh, sees you, at the end of, it, uh, of which, you sees you go up a new level. And it's a great... I've actually played in a game uh, run by my buddy uh, Jared Rasher, uh, in which actually my, my buddies um, Mike Myler and Jason Hawes were both uh, players as well, too. And it was really, 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 really fun as a player, too. Like, it's it's one of those games that, um, yeah, it's just a really solid game. Uh, and I don't know, it's it just because of the, the way you structure the can, the adventures. I, probably because it requires more discipline to set those things up. And that may be why I resist it. It's just because it, it does seem like it would require a great deal of work. But I don't know. Maybe I needed to uh, reconsider that because, boy, was it an awful lot of fun at the table. And the players had a, a great deal of fun generating and playing and uh, leveling up those characters as well, too. So it was pretty pretty great. And then uh, on Sunday, we uh, did our Modern Age uh, character generation. What we decided to do with our Sunday sessions in general is actually rotate games on a quarterly basis. So each of those games, were each of the um, uh, dates, we're going to be running a certain game for three months. And then we'll transition to a different game 
and then we will play that for three months. And, and uh, our current game on that Sunday is Modern Age. And uh, to be honest, like I, I, I picked it because I kept hearing good things about it. Like it's it's one of those games where it reads okay. Like I, I read it and I was like, okay, this is all right. And I, I, I had fun running Dragon Age, but it didn't really... I don't remember it being so like um, mechanically revolutionary that I was like I couldn't wait to get it back to the table again and I don't remember it being uh, substantially better than you know say D&D 5th or or other fantasy role playing games so and for myself like I'm not super invested in the material in the fiction uh, of uh, Dragon Age I I didn't play the games I played the first one through and I really did enjoy that but it's not a a setting that I am you know particularly invested in so um, never really got it back to the table after the initial campaign we ran shortly after the hardback came out but modern age so we made the characters and we're using their threefold setting they've got at the time of recording two different settings that are out for it as well as the sort of generic uh, rule book for it the settings are uh, Lazarus which is based on the comic series of the same name um, written by John Hickman I think Um, and the threefold setting is their, their own thing and it is a multiversal, you know, dimension hopping kind of game. You don't need to run it that way, uh, but it that's sort of what the setup is, is that it's about portals to different dimensions, and there's a kind of cosmological framework in which uh, all those can, ideas are kind of uh, situated. And uh, we had a lot of fun making characters for that. Like, it was really, it was a really fun uh, process. And then last night, uh, I had read through the, uh, the rule book beforehand to kind of get a sense of what was in there. Last night, I really sat down because I'm starting to prep what our first uh, session is going to be about and what the, the kind of the mini campaign is going to be about. And there's a lot of little elements of, a lot of little design elements that I am really interested in seeing at the table. I've had, like I said, I've, I've, people have said to me that it plays better than it reads which to me um, it echoes a lot of my experience with Savage Worlds. I've, I've mentioned in the podcast before how Savage Worlds to me didn't read particularly interesting, but when you play it, it's, there's something that happens at the table that is just really interesting and really fun. It, it's a really, really fun game to play. And um, Modern Age, hmm, I'm, what I'm really particularly interested in, so those who aren't familiar with the way the age systems work is uh, task resolution is always resolved by rolling 3d6, one of which is a different color, and that's called your stunt dice. If you roll doubles on any of those dice, then the stunt dice uh, generates what are called stunt points, and you use stunt points to generate like a neat and interesting result, in the same way you do with like advantage in the Fantasy Flight Star Wars or Genesis, uh, or momentum in uh, the uh, 2d20 games from Modiphius. And uh, in addition, the stunt dice serves as, even if you don't do a crit, so the stunt dice serves as a measure of the quality of your success. So there's a lot of there's a lot going on in the dice roll for it, which I think is interesting. And they also have done Modern Age is really their third iteration, or maybe fourth if you include the Expanse role playing game as well, because that uses the same age system. But it's their um, like third or fourth iteration of this particular engine. And it really shows that they've had a lot of opportunities to think through sort of the sub-mechanics in it. Because this one seems to have a much much more interesting structures to it in, in uh, terms of their like mini-games or the way you resolve certain elements of the, of the task resolution. Um, 
what seems at like what my initial blush with this reading system was was like Jesus like you're going to spend so much time after each dice roll figuring out stunt points because there's a huge amount of options for them um, I've kind of dialed back from that now and maybe I'm wrong about that but I think having read how they recommend structuring the different task resolution things like intrigue or and not even like in, in the individual expressions of task resolution but like the broader sense of like long-term tasks or collaborative tasks or you know uh, chases there's a really a bunch of really clever mechanics that take advantage of that stunt die mechanic to to measure success and one of the things that particularly impressed me was how they do collaborative roles like uh, if if someone is helping someone else there's a lot of games uh, that have and to be honest most games have some kind of like aid another rule and to be honest they're a huge fucking pain in the ass uh, I I when so often they, they boil down to just plus two from someone helping you, it kind of boring, you know? And one really clever thing I noticed with the modern age games is they actually differentiate between force multiplier assistance, like when someone else is uh, helping you and it's, it's helping you get to that goal faster, or insight, where someone's assistance may help you do... Uh, you know, catch mistakes or just get a better result overall. The idea of more, you know, more eyes on it than one. And the way that works in play is that your for extended tasks, what you do is if you're successful on your on your skill test, then you get to add the stunt die result to the t- the running total uh, of you trying to get towards the end of successfully completing that task, that extended task. What you do with um, a force multiplier thing when everyone's working together, like say a bunch, I mean, this is just what comes to mind because I'm driving, but like a bunch of people pushing a vehicle, well, you get to add all of the stunt die results to that. Whereas what Insight does is you take the highest of the stunt die results from the multiple parties who are, who are acting. That's really clever. I think that's really, really cool. I wish I could, I could think of a way to incorporate that into like the D20 games that I, I run that have the aid and other stuff because I love that. I love the idea of effectively giving advantage on that, uh, you know, on that role for, for the stunt die at least. So that's really cool. And what I'm thinking is that because there's these interesting regimented structures for that, like a chase operates very much in the same way. Um, and then with the way the stunt dice interact with that is different ways you can meaningfully affect the, both the, the narrative and the mechanics of that ongoing test. So where you can push the, the target number up or you or whatever, you know, get some neat new thing introduced into it. I think it's going to make for some really interesting narrative play, you know, in a way that I, I, the best experiences I've had with, um, with, uh, fantasy flights, narrative dice without having to delve into that level of detail. So, uh, and also without having to worry about bloating, um, uh, dice pools too. So, um, I'm, I'm kind of tend- tentatively thinking that it, it, I'm really going to fall for this system. I think it's going to be really interesting and give the players a lot of cool mechanical things to dive into while also giving us a really fun narrative, you know, uh, changes that will come from dice results, which I, I really dig. So so that's where that is right now. And, and at the time of recording tonight, I'm going to be record. Uh, we'll be... Um, recording the um, stream for the last character. We've got one more player who's joining that uh, campaign, and he's going to be rolling up his character tonight, too, the same way everyone else did randomly. Um, and then once that's done, I'm going to be really sitting down to figure out what our adventure is going to be about. But what I, one thing I'm going to do is try and 
incorporate as many of the specific sub-games that they've got in there, like the, the intrigue aspects, the social aspects, the infiltration or breaching aspects they've got, which I think are pretty cool. Uh, they got really good suggestions and recommendations for how to gamify, you know, breaking into a, uh, a vault or infiltrating a gang. Um, so I'm going to see that. Some chase rules as well, too, as well as combat. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, that game seems really exciting for me. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this is going to play at the table. Uh, and then we had, let's see here, our AD&D Night Below campaign is just going from, you know, win to win. Uh, it is such a great game. I'm enjoying, our Friday session in particular was just such an enjoyable session because, largely because we had a big group of people who showed up. There was like five or six players. Uh, I think it was six players at it. It ran so well. Everyone was having such a good time, you know, everyone's laughing and, and planning, and uh, we had some fun combat encounters, some fun role-playing encounters, a lot of uh, exploration stuff going on, too, with the players planning for, um, you know, setting out into the wild, and I got to take advantage of my favorite AD&D product, which is the Wilderness Survival Guide, and it was just fantastic. I, I, that campaign is so much fun. I, I always look forward to getting back to that, uh, uh, you know, to that particular campaign. Um, and then what else? Uh, we had our first Spyhander game too, and that was a lot of fun too. Um, we didn't have any combat, we didn't have any spellcasting, we didn't have any. So there's a lot of mini games that we did not um, get a chance to incorporate yet. But we, you made use of a lot of skills, um, and the characters made use of a lot of one of the uh, kind of role playing tools that they have in the game, which is your order and chaos, uh, I can't remember their alignments, I think they call them, or attributes, I don't know, but anyway, it's basically like, it's a, it's a way of, um, setting up how your character, uh, elements of the character's personality you can choose to role play, and, uh, it was great, like, the, the, the setting felt very much like playing a Call of Cthulhu style campaign, where the focus isn't on tactical encounters, the focus is on the role playing aspects, right, like, where, it's solving a mystery, it's investigating things, and I'm really enjoying that. And I think that that's part of why I'm enjoying the, um, the AD&D game, too, is because it doesn't... Because the game isn't balanced, uh, the, the combat encounters aren't balanced, where there isn't a, you know, g combat as sport element to it where I'm trying to balance and make for fun tactical encounters. I still do that, you know. It's just that the game is more about the world them the world reacting to whatever the characters choose to do so if we spend you know two hours with the characters going around town role playing and like learn getting jobs or buying equipment or them just discussing with each other what they want to do and and weighing options and stuff like that and making plans that's just great because that's the game and um man i just i i enjoy both of those this vihander one i'm yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how combat plays. Combat is an interesting. It's very lethal, I hear, uh, but it's got a really great. Um, it's got a great tactical element to it as well. Um, one thing that concerns me uh, is the fact that uh, you, as long as someone has has reserved an action, there's always going to of the three actions they have per round. There's always going to be a opportunity to defend against an attack. Which means it's kind of it's the the thing that I dislike about uh, a lot of D one hundred games, which is that you parry at the same rate that you attack as well. Which means that the chance of parrying is often as good as 
or, or blocking or dodging an attack is often as good as what it is to hit. Um, GURPS gets around that by having the defenses lower than what the attacks are, so that the chances of defending are less than just getting a hit. Um, but if they're equal, what it means is that two high-skilled you know, combatants, it's a lot of like swing-miss, swing-miss, swing-miss. And then on top of that, the way damage works in that is... Uh, it's a damage save effectively. You roll against a target number, and then if you exceed the target number, then there's some effect. If you don't, then there's no effect. So, you know, in, in a game like GURPS where there is a damage reduction element, then, yeah, that can happen sometimes where you can hit, you can get past their defenses, they'll, they'll fail in their defenses, and, uh, and then you will still not have any effect because of the armor, but, I don't know, in Zweihander, I have heard that at high defenses at high armor it can really be a bit of a swingy affair where you're really hoping to get a hit and hoping to get a, a crit like hitting a, a max number on the on the damage uh and that's a problem i had with uh, savage world sometimes with with uh, high damage things it, it just feels very swingy that it all comes down to how well you roll on the dice rather than how you know what tactics you employed or whatever so that may not prove to be a problem we'll have to see i i, I could be completely mistaken on that but uh um, everything we have seen thus far in Zweihander has been a shit ton of fun. The, the characters that we created were really good. The the rules were very easily uh, navigable in spite of it being a fairly big uh, book. And uh, it was easy, to be honest, it was pretty easy to look up stuff when we, when we needed to. And I will say as well, too, the, the skill descriptions that they have in the rulebook are among the best uh, that I've read That in terms of utility at the table because... For each of the skills, you'll look it up, and they've done some things where they like they've renamed some skills their own thing. So like, um, you know, what is called insight in a lot of other games, or what's called perception in a lot of other games, has been renamed. That's kind of frustrating, but whatever. I mean, it's a design decision, and I don't, I don't uh, think it's a, a wrong one. But what they do do is they'll also have a paragraph in every skill description of like, oh, if you're looking for someone to do this, then this is the skill you want. So, like, you know, in awareness is their equivalent of perception. And then what they say in there is, if you're looking for someone to be able to judge what their what the other person's um, hidden intentions are, you're looking for scrutinize. And that's great. And, and then scrutinize, they refer back to awareness. So I, I think that's really a really helpful a bit of, um, you know, a bit of uh, extra direction on how to run the game uh, right in the rulebook. So... Yeah, so the state of play is uh, pretty good. Our, our Ash game is going strong. Zweihander's been a lot of fun. Modern Age is something I'm really excited about uh, seeing at the table. And our AD&D 2nd Edition Night Below game is so good. I'm having so much fun with it. Um, so much fun that I actually ponied up to buy a copy of the original box set as well, too. Just so I'd, I'd have that to access. We're playing online, so like the, I don't need it by any means. But it's... it's, it's I don't know. I'm, I'm just... I'm happy to have... Uh, splurge for for that to have that and i will be when i um read the uh do more going back to the book to, to prep i'm going to be making sure to make use of that rather than the other oh and also i drew a map <laughs> i drew a map for uh for the night below campaign as well too two versions one with hexes one without so uh that's been fun because that, that um, regular viewers may or listeners may know that i do an hour of drawing every day and uh, my project right now is to actually do updated versions of maps from old AD&D modules because I had so much fun doing this one. I'm going through some other modules that I might run throughout the year and uh, and doing updated uh, maps for them because I think that you know presentation for these some of the 
maps for these older modules, they just they have a bit of a dated feel to them. So I'd like to try and do something with my modest art skills, uh, do uh, a more updated version. And if you are a regular uh, listener and you are actually someone who might want to run uh, Night Below, uh, you can find copies of it for download on the community tab of the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. I've uh, I posted those there, hex versions and non-hex versions. So feel free to check that out and down that, download those uh, images if you like. You are welcome to make free use of those as you please. So anyway, that is the state of play for this week at least. All right, I think that makes for an episode. So, uh, as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this uh, episode, please don't hesitate to shoot me a voice message on Anchor. Uh, You can reach me on Twitter at Dungeon Musings. You can reach me by email. My email address is dungeonmusings at uh, gmail.com. You can also uh, find me on uh, the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel all the time, uh, where you can also find a link to the Dungeon Musings Discord channel. Uh, if you haven't joined us there yet, you are welcome to join us where we have channels dedicated to uh, this podcast, to all the games we run on the channel, to uh, finding a game, to other source games. Oh gosh, there's a Poetry Bull Rush channel. There's a channel where we share pictures of our dogs. Um, and yeah, it's it's a it's, uh, uh, honestly, I mean, one of my favorite things to, uh, to kind of uh, while some time away with. It's, it's been uh, a really, really great uh, place to kind of interact with um, listeners and viewers and other players and stuff like that. So it's been pretty awesome. Um, in addition, um, if you, oh, I guess I, that's actually it. That is the end of this uh, uh, this episode. I'm used to my outro for uh, for YouTube, but um, anyway, yeah. So uh, until next time, then thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed my uh, ramblings, and uh, as always, uh, until we see you next time. Happy gaming.